It's always a good idea to know what to expect. In light of that, when I was going into high school, we had an orientation before high school started, and they showed us around the high school. They showed us where our lockers would be. They showed us how to open our lockers. They showed us where our homeroom was, where we'd have to watch the video announcements. And they told us at that time that every freshman coming into high school had to take a class called Freshman Transitions. And Freshman Transitions was a class that was all about helping freshmen succeed in high school. Well, shortly before I made it to high school, our school system started a new system in high school called block scheduling. And that's where you would have four classes that were an hour and a half long during the day for, the, for 18 weeks during the first semester. And then during the second semester, you would have four different classes. Freshman transition for me happened to fall in the second semester. That's right. So my second semester of high school, I was in a class that for the first four weeks taught us how to go to high school. It was, it was crazy. It made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it was, it was absolutely a pointless experience because we'd already been there and we'd already experienced it. It did us no good to tell us what to expect after we'd been doing something already. Luckily, you and I, we don't have to worry about that when it comes to heaven. Because scripture tells us a lot about what's, what's going to happen and what's going to occur. And that's what we're looking at over the course of these next few weeks in paradise, because it's important for us to know what to expect and what's going to happen. So last week when we started this, we saw how to get to heaven. And we saw in order to get to heaven, we got to die. All right, everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. But in order to get to heaven, we have to die. And it's not just you die and you get to go to heaven. That's not how it works. But you have to die and you have to have given your life to Jesus. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus, trusting him and what he's accomplished on our behalf in order to go to heaven. So that's how you get there. Today we're going to be talking about who. Who goes there? And then in the weeks that follow, we're going to be talking about what happens there and what goes on. And I'm really excited about that. So thanks for joining us in this journey as we look at heaven and what is to come. Again, we're going to be jumping all around the place today through selected scriptures. So we really encourage you to utilize your phones or your tablets in the Bible app. If you're watching at home on the stream, the verses will be available down below. And if you don't uh, want to pull out your phone, that's fine. The verses will be on the screens if you're here in person. We're going to start today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we read these words, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no Hope. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So he wants us to be informed. He wants us to be informed, realizing that none of us have died before, none of us really know what to expect. And so if there's ever this level of anxiety within you as you're thinking about death, and, and you're, you know you're a follower of Jesus, and you know where your faith stands, and yet you still can't shake this feeling of just this 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 uneasiness or this level of nervousness that you may carry, and you may wonder, is it a problem with my faith? Am I doing something wrong? Is, why would I, somebody who trusts Jesus, why would I be experiencing this? I just want to set your heart at ease a little bit. It's because you don't know. It's because, not that you don't believe it, but you haven't experienced it. 
Put yourself back before the first day of school. Put yourself back before a first date. Put yourself back before a move or before the start of a new job. And there's a level of just, you, you think you know what to expect, but still you haven't done it before. None of us have died. None of us have been to heaven. So we don't know what to expect. So there is, while we can be informed and while we have our faith, it's still something that we have yet to experience. And so I just want to set your heart at ease. If you know that you have faith in Jesus and you, you've read Scripture and you know you have nothing to fear and yet there's still this level of just uncertainty or just a little bit of nervousness, understand that doesn't make you a bad Christian. It doesn't make you a bad follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean there's a problem with your faith. It means you're human and you have a, a, a little level of just uncertainty because it's something you haven't done yet. Um, and so I, I hope that helps. I, I know sometimes people really wrestle through that. But we don't want you to be uninformed. He says we want you to understand what's going on. And, and when he says brothers, he's not talking about his biological family. He's talking about other people, other, other men and women who've made the decision to follow Jesus. It's a family, and he, and he wants everybody who's made that decision to follow Jesus to be informed about those who died. He uses the picture here of asleep, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And as we talked about last week, we don't have to, we don't have to experience death with hopelessness as a result of what Jesus has done. But understand, the heart of God is that there wouldn't be this level of anxiety for you regarding your passing. There wouldn't be this level of anxiety for you regarding death. God loves us, and He wants us to know that He's got us, and He wants to give us glimpses of what's to come. And so that's what He's done. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to, we don't want you to grieve like you have no hope. You have immense hope, and we want you to be formed in your thinking based on what we're telling you. So then we're going to jump to Philippians 1.23. And if you remember last week, we looked at Philippians 1 where we saw this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And yet even having written those words, to live is Christ and to die is gain, just a couple verses later, we read these words from the Apostle Paul. I am hard pressed between the two. I'm hard pressed between the two. So if, as we read that verse last week, you're thinking, oh, there's something really out of balance in my life because to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't view death as gain yet. I haven't arrived at that point. I, I look at death and I'm, I'm not excited at all about it. And it's, I'm a follower of Jesus, so is there something wrong in, in, in my life, in my faith? Am I doing this all wrong? I want to encourage you that the Apostle Paul, who wrote those words under the guise of the Holy Spirit, just a couple of verses later said, I struggle. I struggle to pick. I struggle with this. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But I struggle. And if, if he struggles with it, that should, if you struggle with it, that should give us some hope as well. I'm, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But there's still this struggle that he has to get through. And he has to legislate it in his mind, and he has to weigh it out. And where he concludes he is, he says, my conclusion is it is far better to be with Christ. What's that tell us about heaven? To be with Christ. That heaven is, a, it, it's a place where we get to be with Christ. And that is the prize of heaven. 
Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to look at all kinds of things that Scripture tells us and the Scripture alludes to that help, can, that help conform our thinking and what we're going to do in heaven and what heaven's going to be like. But never mistake the fact the prize of heaven is, is the fact that we get to be with Jesus. That's we get to be with Jesus. I remember probably 10 years ago or so, I was walking with somebody through an end-of-life process. And it was a long, grueling battle. And as they, were, as they were losing their battle, and as death was imminent, all kinds of people kept, uh, kept coming up to this gentleman and kept asking him, hey, aren't you excited to see your mom again? Aren't you excited to see your dad again? I believe he'd, he'd lost a sibling. Aren't you excited to see your sibling again? And one night, he broke down with, with another pastor and his wife there, and he said, you know, everybody's asking me who I'm excited to, to go see, and won't I be so excited to, to see so-and-so? But honestly, I just can't wait to see Jesus. The prize of heaven is the fact that we will be with Jesus. That's the prize of heaven. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But what else does this tell us? It tells us that when we die, for those of us who've made the decision to follow Jesus, that we are then with him. That we are then with him. When we die, to be absent from our body is to be present with God. We will be present with him to be with Christ, and that is, the, that is the prize of heaven. And it is the far better thing. As, as great as this world is and as great as the things that this world has to offer and as much as we love family, as much, as much joy and, and, and love that we can experience in this world, and those are all good things. And it's so much greater, I promise you. It's going to be so much greater when we are with Jesus. I'm just struck. Um, I just keep coming back to a C.S. Lewis quote that says, why should we leave with any regret? There are far better things that lie ahead than any we leave behind. And so often the things that we are building up and the things that we are leaving behind are going to be hard to leave behind. But just remember, there are far better things that lie ahead. I mean, just think back to when you were leaving your frat or your dorm room at college. I mean, you probably had a lot of great memories. You probably had a lot of fun. Maybe it was the first apartment that you shared right out of, house, uh, right out of high school with some people, and that was fun. There were a lot of memories, and when you left, you were probably a little, a little sentimental about it, probably like, oh, I, don't, I don't know that I want to leave. There was so much fun here. You drive by that place, now you're like, well, that was a dump. How did I ever live there? At the time, at the time, it was great because it was, it was your first step out, your first little bit of independence, you, you know. You had some parties and some regrets there, and, and you learned a lot about things, and, and now you drive by the place, and you're like, whoa, and I promise you, I promise you, when we look back in this world, as, as amazing as it is when we're in heaven, we're going to think, what a trash heap, and what a pile of, yeah, what a pile of crap that was, and some of you, some of you are already there right now. You're looking around this place, and you're like, I'm already there. I don't have to get to heaven to think about that about the world now. I mean, you're already there, but even more so when we get to heaven, how it's going to be. There are far better things that lie ahead, that lie ahead, and the main one is that we will be face to face with Jesus, and He is the prize. 
So how do we get there? And, and who goes there? Well, Ephesians 2 talks a lot about this. And we could, we could spend months just on these verses I'm about to read. So uh, they're great. And I would just encourage you, if, if you don't really have anything that you're looking at right now in terms of Scripture throughout the week, I just encourage you to just take these verses this week and just read over them. Maybe one verse a day. Maybe you just read over all of them every single day, but just really read over these and meditate on them, think about them, allow them to, to guide your thinking, but really think through this because this, this passage is just, it's so full and it, it just says so much about how God views us and how God loves us and how much we mean to him. Ephesians 2, we're going to start in verse 4 and we're going to work our way through verse 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We could spend months here. We're not going to, but we could spend months here. So let's just look at the highlights today. That, we, that God, who is rich in mercy, why? Because of his love for us. That we serve a merciful God, a God who loves us, and if this is just setting the scene, it's just setting the table, that we don't deserve what God offers us. It's not dependent on, on anything that we accomplish. It's not dependent on anything that we can do. It's not that if we're good enough or, or our good outweighs our bad or we're a decent person. No, none of that. None of that. It says, but God, who is merciful, he loves us. And how does he love us? When we clean ourselves up and when we do better and when we say, God, I realized I messed up and I'm going to try better and I'm going to try to live for you and I'm going to try to honor you with the choices and the decisions that I make and I realize I've wronged a lot of people and I want to make that, make that right. Is that when God loves us? No, that's not what it says. It says that we have a merciful God who loves us, who when we were dead in our sin, which means at our absolute worst, at our absolute worst, the worst part about every single one of us, everything about us that we wish we could change, when we had nothing to offer God, when we were at our absolute worst, God still is merciful towards us, and He still loves us. Not because we're trying, not because we're putting forth any effort. In fact, He loves us at the moment we're like, I don't really care. I'm not going to put any effort. I'm just. But he loves us at the moment where we take joy in the things we look back at and we're horrified that we ever did. In those instances, right there, not in the repentance phase, but in that moment, in that instance, right there, at the very worst we have to offer, God loves us, and he's merciful towards us, that when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive through Jesus. When we had nothing to offer God, there's nothing good about us, God still loves us, and in his mercy offered us life through what Jesus had accomplished on our behalf. By grace, he raised us up. 
By grace, he raised us up, and he not only changes us, he not only works in our life, he not only says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you for what you've done, but he brings us into heaven and seats us in heaven with him through what Jesus has done for us. Not only that, but he gives us immeasurable riches. He doesn't just bring us to heaven, but he blesses us. Not because of what you've done, but because he loves us. This is mercy, and this is grace, and this is love. It is not you. You can't earn it. But God's offering it to you, and he gives it to you freely. And how is this done? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace through faith. Not because of anything you can do. Not because of anything you have done. It is, it is explicitly God's gift to you. And that's why as a church, we just, we're going to err on the side of grace. We're going to err on the side of grace. Because none of us deserve it. And none of us measure up. But we realize that. And we realize that we have a God who loves us and who is merciful. And if he's offered us grace, then we should be the very people who are the most gracious and the most merciful and the most loving, not the least. And it's never made sense to me. And I've been guilty of it in my own life, who as a huge recipient of God's grace, why it is that somebody who desperately needs God's mercy and love and grace, me, that as somebody who's desperately needed that, I can so quickly forget. And what I was so excited that God freely gave me, I can be so reluctant to offer other people. See, as people, we all need mercy, we all need love, and we all need grace. And as Lakeside, that's just our message to people, is we're going to offer mercy, and we're going to offer love, and we're going to offer grace, and we're going to err on the side of grace, which means sometimes we're going to be too gracious. But I would rather be too gracious than not gracious enough in light of what God has done for us. And oh, by the way, this is the first judgment that people will experience. The first judgment that people will experience is whether or not they have been recipients of God's free gift that he's offered the grace through Jesus. This is the first judgment. And in order to make it to heaven, you must pass the first judgment. How do you pass the first judgment? Well, you don't accept by grace through faith. Jesus passed it for you and he offers it to you. And if you accept it, grace through faith, you make it. Not because of anything you have done, not because of anything you could do, but because of God's free gift that he offers to you. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Understand this, grace changes everything. It changes everything. It changes everything about our life. It changes everything about how we should conduct our lives and how we should live. God has saved us, and he has called us to a holy calling in heaven and this life. So you might be wondering, okay, Brian, if grace is free, 
And if it can't be earned, if it can't be deserved, and if there's nothing I can do to make my situation better, and there's nothing I can do for it, well then, what's, what's to stop somebody from just accepting grace and then living the rest of their lives like hell? What's to stop somebody from that? I mean, really? I look at some of the choices that other people make who haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, and it looks like their life's a little bit more fun than mine, so why shouldn't I just make the decision to follow Jesus? Great, I've got grace, and now I get to do whatever I want, and I can go live like hell. Why can't I? I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to talk about that today. (laughs) Because now we move to the second judgment of believers, the second judgment of believers, Romans 14, 10 to 12 says this, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now let's break this down. Brother, when he says brother, why do you pass judgment on your brother? We've already talked about this when the Apostle Paul uses this phrase. He's talking about everybody who's made the decision to follow Jesus. Men, women, children, everybody who's made the decision to follow Jesus. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? So we see a select group here, but then we go to a universal group. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That means everybody. That means everybody. Everybody will bow and every tongue will confess. Every single person will stand in judgment before God. And our standing in ourselves is we don't have one, but our standing for those of us who made the decision to follow Jesus is in what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. But then notice what he does in verse 12. He goes back to an exclusive group when he says, so then each of us, So then each of us, each of us followers, followers of Jesus, each of us followers of Jesus will give in account. We'll give an account to God for what we do. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. This is why you don't live like hell even after you've made the decision to follow Jesus. Because what we're going to see in in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 to 15, is incredibly somber. And it's sobering when we read these words. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, base, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Which means God will weigh everything we've done. And God sees our hearts. And God sees our motives. Which means when we went on a mission trip to just impress the girl, 
this is totally random, never happened in my life, all right, when we went on a mission trip, just to impress the girl, God knows why you went on the trip, he sees the heart, he knows the motive, when you fed the homeless individual and nobody was around, God sees the heart, knows the motive. And everything's going to be tested. Now the good news is, even if you do live like hell, you're in heaven. But the bad news is, God's going to weigh everything. And he's going to give us a reward based on what we've done. A few years ago, I had a friend who lost everything in a house fire. The house went up in flames, and they lost all of their possessions in that fire. By the grace of God, everybody made it out alive. But in an instant, all they could do was stand in their yard and watch the house go up in flames with wedding albums and baby albums, hard drives, devices, catalogs of their life up in flames. And as the dark smoke rose in the atmosphere and they looked up, They were crying and they were shaking. They were safe. And they were alive. But there was a sense of loss. Of things that were gone. And they never get back. And we will have God look at our lives. And we will be safe. And we will be in heaven. But let's live our lives in such a way that we don't have to look on before our Creator with a sense of loss as He weighs what we've done, as He weighs the motives of our hearts as he weighs the choices that we've made in our lives. This is why our lives matter. This is why our choices matter. Because yes, God is merciful, and yes, God loves us, and yes, God is gracious. And he's offered us Jesus. But he is still a God of holiness, and he's still a God who has standards. And he sees our hearts, and he sees our motives, and he sees the choices that we've made. Which can either be something that terrifies us, or something that energizes us. That God sees our hearts, and he sees our motives, 
And he sees our generosity. And he sees our service. And he sees our love. And he sees all of the things that nobody else has any idea about. And nobody can post about on social media. But God sees all of that and understand what Jesus said. That if anybody gives somebody a cup of cold water in my name. Literally, if you give somebody a cup of water. Something that would seem so minuscule. And something that would seem so insignificant. God says, I promise you, you will not lose your reward. That God sees everything. This can be something that terrifies us, or this can be something that energizes us. And I hope and I pray that we allow this to be something that fuels us, and something that energizes us, and something that puts within us a desire and a longing that we would serve in really big ways. That we would make a really big impact because God sees it all. And now we get to this scene of what happens to those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. In Revelation 20, 11 to 15, we read these words. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Understand the dead who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who haven't accepted the mercy and the love and the grace of God, they are judged according to what they've done. And they don't meet the standard that God has. The standard of perfection. And yet the hope for you and for me and the hope for all is that in this picture of things to come, there's more than one book. And there's a book that this passage calls the Lamb's Book of Life. That if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you've accepted what Jesus has done on your behalf, if you've received the love and the mercy and the grace of God, if you've made it where you realize, God, I can't earn it. There's nothing that I can do to earn my way into there. I can't write my own name into that book. There's no way I can get into that book, but Jesus has put my name in that book through what Jesus has done for me. There's hope. There's hope. And the hope that's available to you and to me is that God loves us, He died for us, He made a way, and that we can live forever with Him. And that is the prize of our salvation, that we will be in heaven forever with Jesus. And that's possible through grace. And I just want to encourage you, maybe you've been trying to do something. 
Maybe you've been trying to do enough. Maybe where you come from, you've realized, wow, I've messed up a lot in my life, and I feel like there's a giant debt to be paid. There is. There is a giant debt to be paid, but you can't pay it. You can't pay it. Jesus paid it for you. And if you accept his payment on your behalf, the debt's clean. Which means you don't have to go through life wondering, can I do enough good to outweigh the bad? You don't want to live that way, I promise you that. Because that is a never-ending cycle of slavery to yourself and to your past. And there is no joy and there is no fulfillment in that lifestyle. But what Jesus offers you is taking care of all of your faults, taking care of all of your sins, and making it his gift to you if you would just accept it. Not because you earn it, not because you deserve it, but because we have a good God who loves you in spite of all the ways that you've messed up. And he offers it to you for free if you'll take it. Now, once you've taken it, you don't get to just live like hell. I mean, there, there's going to be, there's going to be an account that you have to give. And as a result of what Jesus has done for us, all the more we should be motivated to love others, to serve, and to model the mercy and the grace and the love that God has offered us. So here are the questions I want you to wrestle with this week. The first question is this. When I think about my death, when I think about heaven, is there, is there just this level of uncertainty that's making me anxious? Or is there something really picking at my soul that says there isn't, that there's something isn't right in my relationship with God? And really wrestle through that question. Is, is the angst that you have a result of just the fact that it's uncertain because you've never experienced before? Or is there something wrong with your relationship with God, a lack of a relationship with God? Maybe there's some sin in your life where God feels really distant, He feels really far away. But really ask yourself those questions and wrestle through as you ask those questions. The second thing I want you to wrestle through is as a recipient, as, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can tune this one out because we don't expect you to act in mercy and grace and love. I mean, we'd hope you'd still be a decent person, but we don't expect you to act in, in mercy and grace and love like your life has been changed by Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, ask yourself, are those three things characteristics of my life? Would people say that that's true about me? Am I somebody who's merciful? Am I somebody full of love? Am I quick to offer grace? Or am I quick to remind people of how they haven't measured up? Am I quick to remember people's faults and mistakes? What defines me? Because as people who've received mercy, love, and grace, we need to be the people to extend it to others in the biggest way possible and not the stingiest of people holding it back and forgetting what God has offered us. And then lastly, remember, you're going to give an account for your life. And let that be something that encourages you and not something that terrifies you. 
Live in such a way that you're excited about that fact. That God sees everything. And what would seem insignificant and minuscule to many others. I mean, a cup of water. God says, I promise you, I've seen it. And you will not lose your reward. And the good news is that reward's coming into place where it won't be taken from you. It won't depreciate in value. And it will never be destroyed. So let's live with the hope of heaven in our hearts today and every day. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the grace that you've offered us and the hope and promise of heaven. Not because it's something we deserve, not because it's something we can earn, not because we can do enough, God, but because you love us and you're merciful and you're gracious. I pray, God, for people today who are watching at home and who've joined us in person, who've made the decision to follow you. And yet the uncertainty of heaven and the uncertainty of death, it weighs on them from time to time. And the enemy comes and he tries to use that as a distraction. He tries to use that to destroy their joy, to get them to question their faith, your goodness. And I just pray, God, that we would be gracious to all people, but including ourselves. And Lord, we would understand that sometimes just because things are uncertain, there's going to be a level of uncertainty. And in those moments, we would just trust you. that we wouldn't allow the enemy to gain any traction in our hearts and in our lives, causing us to question your goodness, causing us to question our faith. Lord, may your voice be louder than the voices of this world and the voices of the enemy. I pray, God, as people who made the decision to follow you, that mercy, love, and grace would define us. that we will err on the side of grace. We will give people a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. And Lord, it will be infuriating sometimes. Give us the patience and the resolve that we've experienced from you. Let Lakeside model mercy, love, and grace. And God, I pray that we would be energized to serve you. God, I pray that we would be energized to love everybody we encounter. God, I pray that this knowledge of the fact that we will stand before you and we will receive a reward just make us each day desire to do more good. So help us, Jesus. Live lives that matter, 
live lives that impact others. Thank you, God, for the hope that we have in you. In your name we pray.